Children, you're dismissed to go to your classes at this time. God bless you this morning. Thank you for worshiping with us and being in the presence of the Lord together. This morning I want to minister to you on a very simple theme but very deep. And I'm asking you to please turn to the Gospel of John chapter 17. John 17. The topic this morning is glory. The glory of God. And what you'll notice in Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17 is a very significant word and that is glory. We tend to focus on the aspect of unity in this prayer, of how Jesus is praying for the unity of the body of Christ to the unity of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and and we look at that unity. But what I have noticed in the study of this chapter is I think the emphasis is glory. That you can't have unity until you enter into the glory of God's nature. There's no way that you and I can have any unity with the divine nature of God within our ability. So if we need to get into the glory of God, if we need to understand this prayer for its impact on glory, we need to understand that word. Now the word in Hebrew, very uh, deep, rich understanding in the Hebrew nation in Israel. So the, the word for glory is chabad. Chabad. It means weight. Okay? So the weight of God's glory. And so in the Old Testament, when God's presence, we would call His glory, when it would show up, there was a weight of glory. There was a burning column of fire, or there was a white cloud, or the presence, the Chabad, the weightiness of God's presence filled the temple that no one could even enter in, because it wasn't a puff of smoke. It wasn't a flickering of a light like Tinkerbell. It was the weight of His presence that no flesh could stand in. It had weight, and it had substance to it. And so the glory of God was weighty. We use that phrase all the time. Whoa, that's a weighty subject. That's heavy, heavy. It's the same thing. It's where we get the sense of glory. It's deep. Whoa, that's weighty. I can't believe how deep that is. It carries much weight to it. And so that's Chabad. And in the Greek, it's doxa, which means majesty and honor, glory and power. And so when I think of glory, I, I, I want you to know that God wants to have His glory fill the temple. And so there's a weightiness that should be in our lives of God. He's not a thought. He's not an idea. He's not a philosophy. Christianity must have weight. In fact, the entire definition of faith is faith is the what? Oh, I'm sorry. What? Faith is the... What is substance? 
Wait, it's something that shows up. This chair has substance. Or it wouldn't hold me up. Because I'm big. (laughs) Substance. So a faith has to have substance which leaves. It's the substance of hope. Hope is something that's not tangible. Hope is vision. So how do you get something that is of spirit into the earth realm? Faith. So So faith is substance of what you're looking for. So you live by it. You act it. You give it substance. You give it chabad. You give it glory. You give it evidence. It's the substance of things hoped for. The what? The what? All right, so when there's a crime scene and you've got to prove someone did something, you look for the? So if God is with us, there should be some? And some? substance and so in the church glory needs to abide in the people of God it's not in this building but I'll tell you what I want his substance and presence and evidence here but we need it here don't we I don't want to talk about Jesus today I don't want to talk about him I'm sorry but I don't want to talk about Jesus I want to experience His presence right here, right now. Church, for too long, has been talking about Jesus. We need His glory, His Chabad, His presence, His weightiness here. If you'll see in the Scriptures, every time anybody saw the weighty glory of, of who God is, the disciples saw Jesus all the time. But when they saw him transfigured, they fell on their faces. They couldn't handle it. John, his beloved disciple, laying his head on Jesus' bosom. When he saw the Chabad, the glory of Jesus, he fell on his face. When anyone would look at God and see his glory, the weight of his presence causes us to fall. Do you know you can ignore it? You can walk right by it. So I don't want to talk about Jesus today. I want to experience Jesus today. How about you? How about we look for the glory of God when we meet together? And so in John 17, this is what Jesus is talking about actually. And I'm going to uh, skim through some of these verses. And if you'll look at 1 John 17, right in verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Glorify the Son so that I may glorify you. Give the weight of substance of glory and power in me that I may magnify your glory and power. Verse 4, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Verses 4 and 5, I'm going to read them again for you. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. So what he's saying is this. Two points. Two aspects about God's glory. What Jesus did is he said, I glorified you in the earth with the work you gave me to do. 
So what did Jesus do? What was the work? He was to reveal the Father. Jesus brought the glory of the Father into a substantive, real, evidential way. So that when they said, where is the Father? He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He brought the glory here. He brought the glory, evidence, and in substance to the people of God. Did you know that's what the church is supposed to do? We're supposed to bring the glory of God into this earth realm. That's why he cleaned us up. Everybody thinks this is all about having your sins forgiven. That's phase one. Can we get past that? Thank God for the cross. This demonstrated the glory of God. But he did it to clean you out so he could do what? Put his glory, his presence in you so that the people of God would bring the evidence of glory to earth. So that we care for people. We care for the sick. Where do you think nursing came from? The whole concept of the Christians caring for the sick, caring for the poor. Many civilizations would shove them to the outside skirts of society. And the Christians would gather around and care for them and collect them. Orphan children and widows and so forth. It's the body of Christ. It's the glory of God. We express the nature and the glory. The weightiness of God shows up. The love of God shows up. That's His glory. Jesus said, did it. I did it. So the first aspect of the glory of God is we're to demonstrate that glory to people with our hands and our feet and our mouths and everything we do. Bring the presence of God into a situation. The second thing is, is before you can reveal that glory, you need to have that glory revealed to you. Jesus said, give me the glory I had before the world began. He was face to face. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Pros, face to face. Intimately, his glory reflected Father. Father reflected in him, and he reflected in Father. All things were made by him, and all things were made for him. And so before you and I can do the aspect of giving God's glory out, you and I need to have a revelation of his glory. Jesus fully understood the Father. How could Jesus demonstrate the glory of the Father if he wasn't in union with the Father? Does this make sense to you? So we must be in union, and we must have a revelation of the glory of God. Now, I know a fella that in fact said, show me your glory. He may not have sang that song, but we're talking about Moses. God called Moses to the burning bush. God told him to be the deliverer. God showed him. He did that. He said, I love this part. He said, how will I know that you that you're the true God and that this is really a plan that you have for me. He said, bring the people of Israel back to the bush. (laughs) I think that's funny. After all that you did, all that work, all the ten plagues, getting them out, crossing the Red Sea, get back to the bush, now decide, was it real? Am I the one who is, yeah, you're the guy, yeah, you're God. We did it. We got here. And then it's not enough that he saw the ten plagues and that he saw the burning bush and that he saw the Red Sea parted and that he brought them to the Mount Sinai. He got there and he said, I see the demonstration of your glory, but I want to see you. Do you know that we've got the church in a position right now where all of us want to see the demonstration of his glory? Oh, I can't wait till we get past that. 
I can't wait till we get past it. I'm hungry to see healing, deliverance. I'm hungry to see all of that. But I want us to get so that where that becomes so average to us, we cry out, show me your glory. And so he said to Moses, show me your glory. And so in Exodus chapter 33, God said this, I will cause all my goodness to pass before you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. So he put him in the cleft of the rock. And he said, but no man could live to see me face to face, to see my glory. Now it says that Moses spoke to God as a friend speaks face to face. It's, a, it's a, uh, an analogy. As a friend sees him face to face. Moses did not speak to God face to face, but he spoke to God as a friend does. But he did not literally come face to face with God because of this situation we saw that God said, no man sees my face and lives. I'll show you the back of me. But he says this, you want to see my glory, okay? You want to see my glory? I will show you all my what? Everybody help Larry out. I will show all my... Somebody get engaged here. I will show all my... Goodness. Goodness. We look at the fruit of the Spirit. Goodness is one of the nine fruits. I'm going to show you all my goodness. Do you know all of God's goodness? No. Paul didn't know all of God's goodness. Paul had a revelation of God. It says that Paul said, I went to the third heaven. I've seen things no man and heard things no man has ever seen or heard before. He saw stuff that, that made him so high and lofty, God had to put a thorn in the flesh to keep his feet on the planet earth and not be so smug. God had to wound him in a way, not, it wasn't physical. The thorn in the flesh are those Judaizers that followed him everywhere it goes. There's a plan in why God did that. I'm getting off topic, but you need to hear it. The, the, the reason that Paul had a thorn in the flesh is because he saw the glory of God in such majesty that God had to keep him grounded to keep giving the glory out. So God brought trouble to his life. God brought trouble? Yeah. God brought a thorn in the flesh, troublemakers, to follow after him. So much so that in order to make sure that the churches stayed on doctrine, he wrote them epistles or letters, which we now call... The New Testament. And through Paul's troubles and the trouble God gave him, he saw the glory of God, but he needed God's grace to take it away. Get away from this troublemaking that people are putting on me. God said, my grace, my goodness my, is sufficient enough. You've seen my glory, my goodness. And out of that trouble, he wrote the New Testament, which benefits all of us. Some of you have been through trouble, and it's been good for you. It's been good for you. You've seen the glory of God. Paul says, I now relish, I enjoy, I thank God of my weaknesses because now I can behold His glory, His goodness, the dimensions of all of God's character. We wouldn't know it unless we went through something. Show me your glory. So when you pray, show me your glory, you want to see the goodness of God, you got to go through some badness. You want to know the love of God. 
you get disappointed with others. You want to know the faithfulness of God, right? So he says, show me your glory. All my goodness. Can you imagine all of God's goodness? Could you imagine seeing all of God? It's going to take us a lifetime to see all of God's goodness. All that we're going through. All of his love, all of his joy, all of his peace, all of it was embodied in Christ. That's who Moses saw walk by him. Jesus. And so, this is the glory He experienced the glory of God. Now, here's an interesting thing about Moses. And Paul tells us something very interesting. 2 Corinthians 3.13 Moses put a veil over his face so the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Paul tells us, 2 Corinthians 3.13, that the reason, how many of you know, that when Moses came down from the mountain, his face was shining. Woo, it was brilliant. It was glorious. Shafts of light came off of his face because you can't be in the presence of God's glory without beginning to reflect it. That's the key. That's what Jesus is praying for. So that we would be in God's glory so that we would reflect it to the world. That's what he's talking about. And he uses Moses as an example. And he says, this is the best I can do for right now because Moses looked at God and his face shined of his glory because he saw all the goodness of God's glory. It shone brightly. And as it shined, he began to wear a veil. Paul tells us why he wore the veil. Because it was fading Read it, 2 Corinthians. That's why Moses wore the veil. 3.13, Moses put a veil on his face so that the Israelites might not gaze, might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. The law is fading. The law was fading. He's comparing it. That which is written on stone tablets compared to the living Christ who is the law, who became substance and evidence of the glory of God. And so Moses wore a mask because, guess what? The glory on him was fading. And so then Paul says this, but we, 2 Corinthians 3.18, we who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with an ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That's what he says about you and me. That we have unveiled faces because the glory of God is not fading off of us. It's increasing as you gaze into the majesty of who Christ is. As you gaze into God, the glory of God shines and has weight in your life with greater increase and ever-increasing glory. King James says from glory to glory to glory to glory. It's an increasing presence of God that our faces are unveiled. We don't have to worry about it fading away. If you behold his glory. So what are you looking at, people? What grabs your attention? What holds your devotion? Because that which you worship, you will begin to imitate. 
that which you watch, that which you follow, you will do. And we're all creatures of habit and imitation. So if you're not studying the face of Christ, if you're not looking at his very nature, all of his goodness, all of his joy, all of his peace, all of his faithfulness, are you meditating on him day and night? Are you in prayer? Are you studying the word? And if so, there's a weight to your presence in the room. Somebody say something. I saw it at the prayer tent this week, all week long. We had 34 volunteers, hallelujah, show up at that prayer tent. Some of them said, I'm kind of nervous, I'm scared, I don't know if I can pray. They had 185 people off the streets coming in. Five days they manned that tent, 185 people. Because people are hungry for the glory of God. They're tired of, a, of an empty world. And these people stood out there ready to portray the glory of Christ. They laid hands. They began to pray. They healed marriages. They helped people through their troubled times. They began to pray for healing. We had four salvations, people coming to Christ. Because those people walked up to a tent and beheld the glory of God. If you don't believe that, you're messed up. It's not about you. It's about you being a carrier. You carry the very weight of His glory. And I'll tell you, you will carry a greater glory the more you have a revealed glory. You getting this? So what do you listen to on your car radio? What are you listening to while you're cutting the lawn? What are you watching at night? What are you reading? What are you filling in you? Because what you put in is what you're going to radiate out. Right? You political junkies, God bless you, you got a habit. Some of you, it's an addiction. Can I tell you? There ain't nothing good coming out of that. If you watch that, you need to soak a little longer in Jesus. Anger, bitterness, lies. All this stuff. What are you soaking in? What's your perfume? See, when I leave here today, I have to wash my hands and my face because I smell like 18 different perfumes. Because I get so many hugs on a Sunday. God bless you, God bless you. And after a while, it's like, oh, wow. <laughs> Did I say that out loud? God bless you, you all smell good. But I would rather smell Jesus. Are you wearing the fragrance of Christ? Right? I like what my wife wears. I hug her a lot. And when I walk away, I feel her fragrance and I smell her and I like that. Do you have the fragrance of Christ? Have you been embracing Him? Have you been illuminated by Him? Is your face unveiled? Or is His glory fading off of you? Are you kind of camouflaging like Moses? We've got so many camouflaged Christians. You can put a tie on and look righteous. We dress. There are churches that have dress codes so that you look righteous. 
The Pharisees, Jesus called them out. He said, oh, you're all white. You look good. You're all white. You're your dead man's bones. A whited sepulchre, you're a grave. And so this whole aspect of glory is that you need to be in his glory so that you can portray his glory. That's what Jesus is actually praying about. John 17, second half of verse 10. And glory. Oh, this is too good of a picture to go by. We're being transformed into his image. And so he goes on in 10, second half. And glory has come to me through them. He's talking about the disciples. Jesus said, glory's come to me through the disciples. Now, how did that happen? Now, look, at we don't add anything to God's glory. We can't. It's his nature. But what Jesus is saying is, if we represent Christ, we're lifting him up, bringing him the glory that is due to him. And so, as a disciple of Jesus, are you bringing glory to him? Are you bringing substance and evidence that Jesus is your Savior? Do your co-workers know that you're a believer? Or are you a secret agent? Undercover. If you're starting a job, let them know you're a believer right off the bat. It'll be a lot easier. Then you'll know you've got to live up to it. But he said... They bring me glory. Why? His disciples. Do you know how it took them three years to get there? But they finally got there and he said, they're bringing me glory. He goes on to say in verse 20, I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. So how are we going to be one as Jesus and the Father are one? What is the substance that's going to bring us unity? Say it again. Say it again. Over there, say it again. Thank you. I'm I'm not trying to be sarcastic and I'm not trying to be belittling or trying to be uh, with a little kid. I'm trying to engage you into into getting this because if you say it, it'll be on your mind and heart. Tell your neighbor, it's the glory that will make us one. You see, I look at we got a room here full of people. You all like different foods. You all wear different clothes. Some of you are loud. Some of you are quiet, right? If we're going to try and get along on our best abilities, we can't. But if we all look to Christ, there's our unity. I'll put up with you as long as we're following Jesus, right? You know that's true. You know it's true. So the only way you can have unity, in John 17, what I've realized is we're praying about unity, we're asking for unity, oh, that we would be one as God is one, that we'd all be unified. The only way is if the glory resides. That's exactly what Jesus prayed. Give them the glory. What is that? A revelation. And the glory he deposited in us is the very nature of his spirit. It's in us. Give them the glory. I have given them the glory when Jesus breathed on, these, on them. It's the Holy Spirit. I have given them the glory that you gave me. So the revelation that Jesus had of the Father, he gave to his disciples. The revelation you have of Jesus, you are to give to each other. And this is what will make us one. Again, we'll only tolerate each other for so long. Look, at the service is an hour and a half. Then you stay for bagels and you've had it. You're fed up. 
Someone's bound to offend you by then. Come on, am I right? This is a church. See all these empty chairs? Offended Christians. And I'm not kidding. I am not kidding. So if you're here thinking that it's because all these nice people, that'll only last for a couple weeks. I've been doing this 26 years. It's the glory of God that's the only thing that holds us together. It's all of us looking at Him. It's all of us seeking Him. That's why once a month we recalibrate We take communion to say, I forgive you, I forgive you, he forgave me, I have to forgive you, I forgive you. We recalibrate to the glory. It's all about him. It's the only way you're going to have unity, and Jesus gave it to us. Paul talks about this presence, and he goes on in verse 24. John 17, 24. Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am, and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Now, I have to ask you this question concerning this. Is this talking about when we go to heaven? Because this is how it's mostly interpreted, that we're going to see his glory. I want them to see my glory and be where I am. Well, he's in heaven right now. So obviously, we can't see him in heaven until we die, and then we'll see his glory. But what's that going to do for us on the earth? Right? What benefit does that help planet earth if, if the only time we're going to see the full majesty of his glory is when we die? Well, <laughs> what good is that? So I had to really consider this. I'll tell you what, I think he wants us to see his glory now. Father, this is his prayer. Because this is the only thing that's going to unify the church. It's not bagels. It's not special events and programs. It's not keynote speakers. It's not anointed men and women of God. It is the presence of God's glory. It's the presence of God's glory. See, and and I believe the church is starting to find this out because people are just not gathering anymore. People are tired of gathering. Man, I've been finding this out. Been running a whole bunch of things, putting, trying to put things together for Christians to come out. Nobody wants to come out anymore. You know why? We're tired of programs and gathering for speakers and people and this and that. You know what's missing? I'll tell you what, we're going to have to turn every one of those windows into a door if the glory shows up here. I don't want to say if. I want to say when, because this is a prayer Jesus prayed. He said, Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am. Aren't we supposed to be seated in heavenly places? Do we understand the full glory of Jesus Christ? If we did, we wouldn't behave the way we're behaving. We would be manifesting the substance and the evidence of this glory. I want them to see me in my glory, the glory you gave me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Jesus, high and lifted up. There's no other name besides Jesus that men might be saved. It's at the name of Christ that every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. I can't stop talking about him. I can't stop behaving like him. I can't stop helping someone else for his sake and to 
perpetuate his glory, his majesty, his wonder, his awe. I put my flesh in check so that I can put Jesus out front. I smell like Jesus. I want to taste like Jesus. I want to act like Jesus. I want to promote the glory of Jesus. But I can't do that if I have not seen his glory so that I can produce it. Does this make sense to you? This is the priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. Matthew 5.16, Jesus said this, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You see, what you do manifests the glory of God so that glorifies Him. But you can't do the good deeds. You can't let your light shine if you don't understand the light. Does this make sense to you? I conclude with this. Colossians 1.27 God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. What's the mystery? Christ in you. The hope of glory. Now people have interpreted this the hope of heaven. Glory is heaven. No! 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 It doesn't do anybody on this planet any good if we're all looking for heaven. Heaven come down. Heaven here. The mystery and the expectation is that God would clean us of sin so he'd put his nature in us and we would demonstrate the glory. Just like Jesus is the Father's glory come to earth as substance and evidence, we are his body and we are the substance and evidence of Christ's glory. Christ in me, Messiah in me, Jesus in me is the hope, which is an earnest expectation, an expected expectation of his what? Of his presence, of his weight. That's what glory is. Every one of us has an expectation of his presence. When you walk in the room, Jesus walked in the room. When you came into a situation, there's an expectation that Jesus stepped into the scene. Amen. You demonstrate it. You leave evidence of it. And when you leave, people go, i just been touched by something. I can't believe it. And it's not Bert or Ernie or Bob or Sally. They'll know it's Jesus. They'll be confounded by what you say. They'll be overwhelmed by your prayer. Not because of its eloquence, but because of its weight of glory. Do you get this? This is the prayer for unity. It's glory. But before you share it, you have to know it. Let's bow our heads. Oh God.